Hi, this is Gillian Riley and Jen Warren. Courageous Conversations is a series exploring the art of showing up authentically in our everyday spaces. Recently, Jillian and I sat down with Rion Callitz and Howard Drakes of Farm This City in what turned out to be a quite unconventional conversation. Gathering around a small metal table covered by a blanket, Rian and Howard spoke with us about radical empathy. Howard and Rian, have you always considered yourself troublemakers? Were you born troublemakers, you too? Well, I was for sure born a troublemaker. Not even a question. It was, it was obvious right from the beginning. You know, I just never stopped asking why. My father used to tell me that that was going to create massive problems for me in life. Because I just didn't accept anything for just what it was. I had to know why. So that was kind of critical in my life. And I still ask why. And how did you two meet? <laughs> <laughs> Millennia. Nineteen ninety nine. Y2K. We were on holiday and it was an interesting group of people that got together to do the whole Millennium thing in Bushman's River. He was an odd character. I, uh, his mother is a friend of mine. Howard's mom. There was a link. I still believe that I understand some of his mind and the way he thinks. Yeah, it was kind of a weird time. You know, the world was sort of thinking, this is it, it's coming to an end. And it never did. <laughs> but maybe that's us. We're stuck in those cycles of expectant busts and always wanting towards the boom not quite knowing what the hell to do in between those two spaces, which is probably where we exist for most of the time. From my side, I could feel that we shared certain realities. We were aware of certain truths. Some of it was unspoken. And um, yeah, that sort of end of the year was a turning point on the cusp of something. So there was a why. There was a why. Yeah, it was definitely a why, a big why. You mentioned that you guys aligned on something on a yeah. more core level. What do you think that was? You know what? Rian was a big man with a big personality, but he's not that overbearing big. Not one to throw shadow. And I think I almost remember him at that stage as almost like a magnetic energy in the sense that he was very much the glue that held these weird fragmented parts. There was a sense of stability and calm that emanated from that. And I think I appreciated that. I'm kind of always mindful of what's happening out there. And we started talking and I said, you know, there's this fantastic space, kind of modern, new, urban renewal space called Maboneng, place of light. But you can't find bloody spinach in the inner city, fresh vegetables. And then I started reading and looking at urban farming and how it joined and we said that we should do something about it. We started off really lofty. In the sense, yeah, we both were at a Y point in our lives, a crossroads. Yeah, yeah. and it just sort of started from there. And Rion, you use the term disruptor to describe yourself. Yeah. What does that term mean to you? It's not as simple as asking why. I think you need to contextualize. You consistently need to live within context. I mean, I find that people are fascinating. You start conversations with people and about stuff and you realize stuff. You contextualize the whole time. Look, it has its moments. I think Howard can t even tell you more about that. I mean, you also one is sometimes gravely disappointed 
because you open yourself up 360 degrees and it's from a space of truth. You know, you kind of give yourself. This is who I am and yes, I have mistakes. We live in the age of the product. You know, so everything is about consuming mm. things. We've even got into the level where people become products. products. If it's the teller at the supermarket, you know, you don't stop and regard that that individual as a person with a story and a history and, you know, a whole lot of life in between their birth and that moment. You know, it's a transaction. And I think we lose something so essential in that transactional moment. You know, we're very privileged to be living here in South Africa where people can take 15 minutes just to greet one another, recognizing the other human being and not just as an individual, but as somebody that's to take from you, Rian, is contextual as well. They have a family, they have a heritage, they have a history, they have a culture, they have all of these things that they bring to it. And I think in our modern day and age where everything is so fast-paced, we've lost that. It's an interesting one. I mean, I, I come from where there's nothing. And I see with my family and my friends up in the Kalahari, Northern Cape, they would keep you busy for at least half an hour just to know where do you come from, where are you going to, how are you. They will talk about your family. And if you think of the sand, very much the same if you look at how they greet each other and how they engage and contextualize how they deal with space. Is that how you would describe radical empathy to someone who doesn't know it or hasn't practiced it? I just think radical empathy has a lot to do with context. And to contextualize, I think that's the first thing, to be aware. So you have to be extremely aware. So I think radical empathy is to be out there, to be exposed, yeah, to be aware of things around you. You know, you can be disappointed that you put yourself out there and find oh, the absolutely. other is, as you've described, preoccupied with self. So yeah. why continue to go out there if disappointment awaits I remember walking through rural Zululand a few years ago. I said to myself somewhere along the way that I was going to greet every person mm. that I passed. And I remember for the first two days it was really tough because I would greet people often and there would be no, nothing coming back. And I'd find myself being disappointed and then I would create these little stories in my head about why that person was like that without even knowing anything about that person, not even their name. And I remember sharing this with the person I was working with at the time and he asked me a very important question. He said, what is your intention? And I thought about, well, I mean, my intention is to greet people. Again, going back into that rural space and trying to hold that awareness in the mind of that breeds from me to you, the strangers connecting. And he said, well, fine, that if that's your intention was to greet everyone, did you fulfill your intention? And I said, yes, but. And he said, no, 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 no. The but is irrelevant. Now let's deal with the flip side of that, which is the disappointment of not being greeted in return. Do you have any control over that outcome? No, you don't. So what do you have control of? It's your intention. I find that an interesting space for me in radical empathy. What comes back is out of your control and you need to realize that and you need to be fully aware of that. You cannot predict 
you cannot even fathom the extent. You simply have to open yourself up to whatever comes back. But they might be small gains, those minute, small little things. I think it's important that those small gains add up. And I think that that defines what is meaningful. So because you are mindful and you do the greeting, like Howard did, and his friend said, but it's good enough that you did it. Whatever comes back is fantastic. You know, we always talk about the differences between people or that thing that separates. It's interesting that that greeting would just make that disappear, just dissolves. So there's nothing of that limitation or border left. There's a fragile openness. And if I think of radical empathy, that's where it's at for me, is that you have to be open. I like that idea of fragile openness. Yes. Because there is a fragility to it. Oh, absolutely. The vulnerability that's required to stay in that open space and take the risk of being uncomfortable, of being with someone else fully and opening yourself up to their self and their story and who they are. And the context creates the roundness and the more compassionate emotional side of it. Because there's sort of degrees of context. Now, it's often easier to show radical empathy to stranger because, you know, it's a finite interaction. Whereas, you know, Rian and I walking this journey together and we're also sort of two individuals with our own lives, striking that balance of being empathetic towards each other is probably even harder work. At the end of the day, we're in this for the long haul together. There's definitely times where I think we haven't been empathetic towards one another in one of those contexts or situations. And back towards the self. Can I be radically empathetic towards myself? That's a good one. You kind of go through these ebbs and flows, you know, where you are kind to yourself and then not. And obviously that has ripple effects that permeates outwardly. You know, it's that little bit of self-acceptance. And I, and I really think it starts from there. The ability to be radically empathetic towards another has to come from some sort of knowledge of that within you as a person. And acceptance of self and a comfort with self that allows you to be. Even when you don't like what you look in the mirror, maybe that's potentially more fertile ground for for being empathetic Mm. towards another because you can understand what it must be like on the receiving end of something that's hard or negative. Not liking what you see. Yeah, exactly. You've highlighted a challenge that's coming out for me as I grow troublemakers, which is this paradox that sometimes it's harder to be empathetic to the ones who are closest to us. Yeah. That this practice, and it is a practice, of remaining empathetic, of practicing radical empathy, is somehow times more challenging with those closest to us Mm. yeah you talk about practice and is radical empathy something that one should yes practice or is it to be is it to constantly be i don't know it's a very difficult one for me what i find in the term practice is two things one a recognition that there's a degree of almost discipline required yes to be and that awareness that cultivated self-awareness 
as the basis of that practice. Mm. And I mean, radical empathy, you, I think you learn all the time because you can never define the true nature of that to be moment. This yeah. is radical empathy in this moment. And it's always different. It's the process of trying to live that in practice. It's not going to be some nirvana end state that we reach and now I'm radically empathetic, it all will be well. There's a context of that relationship, but then there's also two individuals that have separate contexts. The shared context might be a fantastic thing at the time, but if one of those parties has issue in their personal context, that has to affect the shared context. If the lines of communication are not open, it's going to have an effect until it's spoken. It has to come to some sort of tipping point. A lot of my attempts to create that communication with Rian is particularly when things are challenging for me in my personal context because maybe I think my awareness is heightened to the fact of where I'm falling short on my things and what that might mean to our context, our shared context. I think what's great about the relationship we have, and, and sometimes it scares me shitless, is almost an unspoken permission between us just to be. So there's maybe also a sense of trust in that, trust in the bigger picture. Maybe it's back to the intentions. I don't know. What has happened in me is that I have learned to respect the contextual makeup of Howard. And I cannot let my fear and my context impact on that. It's not easy because a lot of it is actually quite creative and new and it's very unbusinesslike. So yeah, I think we are radically empathetic to our cause, our shared vision that we have around urban farming. Going back to what you said about trying to appreciate the context of, of each person that you encounter, I think we all probably struggle to remind ourselves that whatever that outcome is or reaction, as you said, that's not in your control. And we can't take it personally because actually yeah. your context has nothing to do with your context unless yeah. you're talking about that shared space. Yeah. But we, as humans, we're always battling that default to think, well, they've said this because of this reason, which is my mm -hmm. fault. And to yeah. push back against that default of people being mm -hmm. so self-focused yeah. in these yeah. days and this time. Yeah, I mean, I'm still not sure what tangibly radical empathy is, but I think as a kind of a mental reminder, it's a great tool for being able to maybe even transcend yourself if just for a mm -hmm. second to try and sit, you know, in the seat that's opposite you across the table and go, how do you see the world? Everything shows there's just this incredible need of exactly that. And putting it in that current context of where we mm -hmm. are in the world today, it reminds me of Warshan Shira's short poem where she says she runs her fingers across the atlas and says, where does it hurt? And the, mm. the world says, everywhere, Beautiful. everywhere, everywhere. Wow. everywhere yeah. What can we do? What can we change? You know, politics and politicians to me are very dangerous, but I shouldn't be saying that. So I want to be open to the way that Obama is handling it at the moment. There's something amazing about him and his wife. I think the empathy sits within their relationship and it spills over. 
vergestalt itself in the way that he spoke to Donald Trump at that first visit. I think there was radical empathy. It could have been so cold and impersonal, and it wasn't, because I think Barack Obama is a compassionate man. We've got Donald Trump. He's the mirror. Everything that we dislike about him is in all of us. Let's look in the mirror. Look at what we're doing to each other all the time, every day. What does that say about us? Are we stopping to try and address the things that we see in the world that we don't like? Or are we just kind of putting our heads down, moving along? You know, and Johannesburg is a great city for that mm. in the sense of, you know, if you drive a car, you will at some point find yourself at a robot with somebody trying to sell you something or ask something of you. What is your reaction to that person? Do you watch people who look straightforward, who don't even acknowledge? What is the impact of that little gesture? A billion of those little gestures, and we have Donald Trump. Why is anybody surprised? We all live elements of what he stands for out in our daily lives. You know, walking past a hungry person, being dismissive to somebody because you're in a rush and you don't really have time to stop and listen to what they're asking you. And I think it's those moments we need to check ourselves and say, why? Why am I doing that? Why is my reaction that? That notion of radical empathy then potentially being transformative because it takes us out of our own worlds and takes the scripts that we have written in our own heads and forces us to rewrite them. Are those gestures, do they have potential to transform on a global basis? Well, if 7 billion people did that, yes, absolutely, it would be a transformative tsunami. It's that journey versus the destination. Is there a destination? Can we ever get to a destination or is it just a cyclical journey? You almost feel like in that moment it can be transformative. You know, it's about not being perfect. I mean, there's a beautiful piece. It was a letter that Mandela wrote Winnie when she was from Robben Island when she was in home detention, where he says, you know, the cell is an ideal place to know yourself. And when you reflect, you'll find that things like success and wealth and status and prestige actually are less meaningful than things like generosity and service to others. So his whole letter is about moving away from the self towards being of a greater service or doing a greater good beyond oneself. But he finishes it by saying, always remember that a saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. And I just found that so poetic, especially considering from where it originated, from the life it originated from, that by him saying that, he's saying, I am also a sinner, but I'm trying. And this is somebody that we would elevate to almost godly status, you know, as if he's the untouchable, the unsinnable. And yet he's saying, no, I am still there myself. It's a process. I think that's important. It is a process. I think being aware is critical. You have to be astutely aware all the time. If you can be that in every day and in every moment, being so current that it is all the time, that's the closest I can get to defining or trying to make it stick. We live in the age of the quick fix. You know, it's the 10 steps to the seven principles of, in my experience, it's hard work. 
it's hard work. There's no quick fix. There's no solution. If you're looking for a textbook, a method, a formula, you're lying to yourself. And maybe that's why it's less attractive to people. You know, we'd rather do the five exercises to give us great abs than realize it's actually our lifestyle that's the issue. So let me work on changing that. It's messy. You know, it's messy. It's complicated. It's uncomfortable. It's full of disappointment. It's frustrating. It's a journey, if nothing else. (laughs) I find that grace is an incredible word to me. It's a continuous grace. There's a grace in that moment, in that being fully aware, contextualizing. But it's hard work. It's continuous. So again, that context, and it's what is context. And I think in the individualistic, sometimes narcissistic world we live in, our context is me. But we forget that there is a much bigger context that exists despite, in spite of. And I think if you can make peace with that, there's probably a lot more to get than if your context remains very small. And Rumi writes, all know that the drop merges into the ocean, but few know that the ocean merges into the drop. If you take it back to the individual self, you miss the bigger picture. And maybe we'll never be aware of the bigger picture. It's when things are difficult that you go, enough. You know, Now it's time to do something about it. We're mentioning a lot of very unique people and trailblazers, and Mm. I think they, in all of their own ways, have a radical empathy for human nature overall, for the earth as a whole, and that does come with suffering. Think about radical empathy. I mean, that's why the word radical and empathy is that very difficult place and if you separate those two words they also almost stand in opposition to one another again it's it's a beautiful synergy it's that kind of harmony and contrast and yet i also think there's a peace that comes with accepting some of what we've discussed today that mindfully navigating my own behaviors and my own choices and my own decisions to show up with other people is all i have Absolutely. And when I accept that and give in to that and settle into it and explore it, there's a kind of comfort and peace that's come to me in, as you said, stopping looking outwards. There's a peace that comes with that and a freedom yes. that comes with Absolutely. that. I like that That then now. creates space for you to bring out some of your own magic and say, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just here. It's a letting go. That's the freedom. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That's the payoff for me, is peace Mm. and calm and freedom that for most of my life I didn't have. And that's an incredibly fraught and sad and scary Mm. place. No, that's true. That for me is far more vulnerable than sitting in my own space and letting things happen as they will. Set your intention, trust the process. You have control over the one and nothing over the other. And I think that's why the story of your partnership interests mm. me, because there is this separateness and wholeness about your attempts to work together in a way that true. is both yeah. respectful of your own context, to use the word that you like to use, but at the same time tries to come together with authenticity and integrity. That's our challenge as people, as we've said today, trying yeah. to show up with each other. And maybe that's the main struggle, is that you're not having a kind of manual and 
trying to plug into the mainstream, we're also exploring the boundaries, the periphery. Sometimes you get lost. Again, it's that we grow and get stronger from that. It's interesting to hear troublemaking and courageous conversations playing out amongst two men trying to change the world together. So thank you. And thank, thank you also to you. Troublemakers, it's almost a thing that refuses to be defined because some troublemaker is going to come and pull it apart the minute you put a structure there, which is great as well because it's that permission for everyone to own it and practice it in their own way. And I think that's really what people are looking for. You know, it's about a sense of belonging whilst remaining free. You belong because you're contributing. Each contribution looks wildly different. But Jesus, they make a nice pot of soup. Eh? <laughs> what a pot of soup, a beautiful pot of soup. <laughs> With 55% of South Africans food insecure and 62% living in urban centers, Rianne and Howard started Farm the City, and they believe that with a single seed, a farmer, and a sprinkle of radical empathy, we can reimagine our cities as living ecosystems that sustain life and farm a solution for us all. Thank you for following our podcast, Courageous Conversations. Join us again in 2017 as we explore more of these concepts around radical empathy, showing up, and courageous listening. <laughs>